You're listening to Real People with Jerry Pives right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. So welcome, Sue. We're here to find out a few things. Uh, this whole series is about what makes us tick. Most importantly, what kind of gets us out of bed in the morning. We're very interested in what has meaning. And along the side of that, this series is about how do we deal with stress or upset or trauma? What's our strategies? How do we cope with stress and trauma? And those are the three main interests of this series. So yeah, welcome and thank you for coming on to the psychotherapist chair. Thank you. So, Sue, I heard about you. You're a local girl. You're actually you're a woman, I think I should say. Uh, I came across you and people suggested I talk to you because of your great work locally here in um, the Wanaka region on the food forest. And several people have have talked about this to me, and I don't know anything about growing food. I'm a a total ignoramus. I'm hoping to pick up some ideas here. I don't even know what kind of tree carrots grow on, so that probably gives you an idea of where my (laughs) level of ignorance is. (laughs) So let's start off, Sue, by you telling me a little bit about what is this food forest? Tell me a bit about what you get up to. Well, um, The Food Forest is a charitable trust that was developed and designed and set up in 2012. Uh, I wasn't part of that very first opening. It was actually a German guy, Andy Cambis, who set the whole thing up and uh, he was doing it as a project. Uh, The council gifted the land or or have loaned the land to the community. And really, yeah, it's a a food forest is a series of plants um, that kind of replicate an ecosystem and it's a self-sustaining system that where you have uh, different levels of plants so you've got ground covers and then smaller shrubs and then you know bigger bushes and then trees with a canopy and so there's this series of layers um, which support each other and uh, the idea is that it's um, a place where community can come together to grow and to learn uh, knowledge sharing but essentially it's about food resilience so it's about having food in our local area that's obviously much healthier for our bodies and then bringing the community together to actually build that forest of food and yeah I think you know it's the um, the aims are to to offer free organic food to our community but um, a lot of it is about resilience of place and you know eating locally and seasonally Um, We rely on working bees to sort of get the work done. And so we're always hopeful that community will come together and it's starting to take shape. Um, It seems to go in ebbs and flows, you know, with energy. But, yeah, the more it's developed, more more people are are becoming aware of of the importance of having having that sort of organisation happening, you know, within our local area. Wow. And is this the only one or are there other such communities or projects in New Zealand or anywhere else in the world? Oh, yeah, there's plenty all all around the world and certainly becoming more and more in New Zealand. Uh, Certainly in Christchurch after the earthquake, uh, you know, you saw sort of groups come together and start developing food forests and community gardens as a way of resilience from from the disaster but really um it's sort of working towards a future uh, not future disasters necessarily but an insurance for our health and knowledge and you know bringing people together is is really an important part of that whole setup here wow that is so 
I'm gobsmacked, actually, because I did not realise what a big thing it was. And is there anywhere else in New Zealand other than in Christchurch where these are going on? Yeah, I'd say most regions actually have some sort of community garden or, or food forest happening, not necessarily the food forest. I know there's one down in Riverton. Um, there's one up in Golden Bay. But, yeah, certainly there's more groups of community gardens set up all over the country. And I love I love the idea of, you know, that you're kind of building a whole ecosystem. You're not just necessarily, you know, farming one crop in one field and another crop in another field, that you're somehow integrating that. Is That sounds to be like a really important part of what this is about. Yeah, well, that diversity actually builds the strength. And, you know, I, could, I quite kind of like to use it as an analogy for the strength of the community as well, where you've got different levels of knowledge or skills um, or energy levels. And so, you know, from the school children planting and their bright energy, you know, and the teenagers' innovative ideas and their sort of artistic contributions. And then the adults, you know, have got some of the tools and the knowledge. And then our elders can, you know, also have lots of knowledge and can bake and have morning teas, you know. So it really does involve bringing everyone together. And that diversity of strength is what creates a, a healthy eating system as well because, you know, it's a reflection of uh, our well-being given back to the earth so what a wonderful concept um tell me the name again of the person that started all this andy cambis how do you spell that surname uh c-a-m-b-e-i-s or i-e-s andy cambis what a wonderful concept and all that energy of the different groups within the community and their different energy levels being part of what's being grown here and how how growing happens uh, between humans and the land and the earth and, and this planet, this amazingly beautiful planet we live on. And would you say it's an abundant planet? Because I think it's a really abundant planet. What would you say? I think it has the potential to be abundant if um, if we just tap into what we need to do to make that happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's abundant in many ways, but food is a really important um, grounding that we need to have the the commitment and the the conscience to move forward and actually make those systems work. You know, yeah, there shouldn't be such such scarcity in food. And I'm really interested, Sue, in you use a word that's very popular and very current and, you know, a big fashionable word right now, which is resilience. And I'm thinking, are you just talking about food resilience or are you talking about uh, other types of resilience as well? Yeah, definitely a a much bigger um, picture, that word. And and I love it. You know, I know it's, you know, probably taken from your book as well. Um, the, The word resilience encompasses so many things. For me, um, you know, a lot of my work is involved with um, biodynamics, which is a spiritual or sacred agriculture um, based on Rudolf Steiner's philosophies. Um, And he suggested in in 1924 that, you know, our food, um, the quality of our food was diminishing to the point where our capacity to interact on a spiritual level um, you know, to achieve what we're capable of as a species was diminishing as well. And so I think, you know, it's not just about sustenance of food 
um, that resilience is about uh, feeding our brains and evolving into the highest realm that we can in the future to change the world we live in for the betterment, you know. So, but yeah, also the resilience of of the health of our minds and our bodies, and the health of the the earth, of course, and and all of the beings that live on it. So there's such an interconnectedness with resilience that if if there's one little thing broken, then you know it, it, can, it will affect everything else. So I think it's a, a huge word, mm, all encompassing. I'm so excited that you brought in the name of Rudolf Steiner. Um, he is such a massive, massive influence. And um, what you're talking about, you know, interestingly, he was the guy as well that he predicted uh, exactly what's happened in the last few years, didn't he? Uh, Rudolf Steiner actually predicted, I believe it was in the 1920s, and he said something along the lines of, before long, we will see technological and pharmaceutical uh, forces create or uh, in some way instigate viruses and damaging biological substances that potentially could destroy the planet and the human race. Have I got that right? Is that your understanding of Steiner? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he foresaw lots of what's happened, even the um, the collapse of beehives and things like that. So. Yeah, he was an um, you know amazing scientific philosopher and genius basically, and and it's been a hundred years since he uh, lectured on the agricultural course. I mean, he's done lots of other work with all kinds of um, healing and and philosophies, but for me, the agriculture course was um, 1924, and you know it's almost a hundred years since since then and it's maybe you know it takes that long for something to actually <laughs> come into play so rudolf steiner uh, is a massive figure he is uh, an intellectual giant not just in the field of agriculture but in philosophy spirituality and indeed education and i think it's really interesting sue this to me seems to be the future what you're describing this living harmoniously with the earth and its cycles and the outdoors and our need, our basic human need for food. That seems to be our future because we've come such a long way, haven't we, from any connection with that? You know, I mean, I would think my grandson thinks that food grows in supermarkets. It's not quite true. He's actually smarter than that. And my joke about planting carrot trees is partly, you know, flippant, but it's also like... If you haven't grown up with people that grow things, then you don't really know about the earth. It's the ability of the earth to support us and provide for us and for us to look after it that is at the very foundation of human existence, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Well, it is a living being and it has, you know, it's a reflection of our well-being. So, it has a consciousness and it is an organism. And again, it's, you know, embodies so many aspects of, um, and not just the earth, you know, we've got to remember that there's other forces uh, that maybe we can't see, but the heavens are, are a big part of it as well. You know, this, the planets and the, the rhythms of the sun and the moon, you know, we've got these amazing giant lanterns that <laughs> create forces that help us grow the food and help us grow uh, into, yeah, hopefully a more spiritual culture and haven't we traveled a long way from that well i think we have become um quite disjointed from it 
possibly starting with the industrial revolution you know i seem to recall mum getting a microwave oven and you know buying mashed potatoes in plastic packets that were dehydrated and somehow fluffed up into this magic food and um yeah and it all changed for me at that point you know when mum started going back to work and yeah the ease of life was supposed to be that you could have all these gadgets that would make life you know much faster and easier and uh, but then we also lost the connection with where food really came from and how to cook and how to eat together as a family and things like that so there was a massive disruption I think around that time. Yeah Sue I'm so respectful of what you do and how important what you do is Again, you know, you, you mentioned uh, we were talking about resilience and one of the areas of resilience that you haven't mentioned, of course, is, I mean, you have, but I want to kind of focus a little bit on is yeah, almost all of the psychological research is now showing us that one of the greatest ways to get out of depression or anxiety is to join together in groups and do a couple of things. A couple of things have really come up as effective for our mental health. One of them is singing in choirs, you know, to sing in a choir and literally be rubbing shoulders and giving voice together is a profoundly ancient and profoundly therapeutic activity. But, you know, pretty much a close second to that in the research is working the ground, working the earth, setting up gardens, growing things with other people learning together so i would imagine that someone like yourself is part of a, a movement that is doing so much good for people's mental health yeah i'd, I'd agree um gardening it is an interesting one because a lot of people see it as a hobby <laughs> for me it's a um a, you know it's a life science i suppose but um it, it it more than just bringing people together you know it brings the four kingdoms of nature together so the mineral the plant the animal and the human and together they work as as a oneness and that's where the the real sort of spirit comes into it because without again without one or the other the whole system breaks down and yeah i mean and treating animals with respect and not just animals i mean i'm talking about worms and biology and all of those microbes that you can't even see but having an awareness of something that you know is is also aiding bringing that carrot to your table <laughs> um it's not just the gardener and it's not just some mud you know there's a whole life system going on there that, that actually brings that nutritive value to to your body well, uh, just listening to you, Sue, I, I'm already feeling like I'm living in a better world because I'm feeling like I'm much more integrated with everything that really exists rather than the things that we become obsessed with because of our business or our work or our problems. And just to kind of settle back and to almost fall back into the arms of a creation that we're part of is actually deeply soothing. And just the way you talk of that connection, I'm very envious of that, actually. And I, I'm going to sign up for your next working bee, just so you know. So there'll be at least one person who'll probably be standing in the corner, utterly useless, trying to find where the carrot trees are, talking about the great <laughs> philosophical wonder, but probably not doing much good. But I'm I'm open to learning, and I would love to learn more about that. <laughs> this is so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great well it it does take you know a lifetime to actually get to that um feeling of connectiveness i think and 
Uh, but, you know, anywhere is a good starting point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've probably got a long way to go talking about characters. So we're this is a Reality Check Radio, and you're listening to Jerry Pives on his episode of Real People in the Psychotherapist Chair. And we're talking to Sue Hoskin down here in the Wanaka area, and uh, she's been talking about a really wonderful movement, a concept called the Food Forest, something which I think personally that we're going to be in great need of as we go forward in society. And Sue, I just want to ask you, you know, this is absolutely amazing. What on earth led you into this? What, how come you have ended up doing this food forest? Tell us a little bit, tell me a little bit about how you came to be here and interested in this stuff. Well, I guess that would go back to, I mean, I'm actually from England, from the UK. I grew up there in a village uh, in the 60s and my father and his father and my uncle and the whole family and the whole village had allotments there, you know, and that's what I've been brought up on, allotments, which is a strip of land that you lease from the council uh, to grow your food. So whether that the green thumbness has come from there, I mean, I didn't always go in the direction of growing food, but certainly that was my initial um, introduction to food from the land and, you know, straight to the plate. And as a child, I probably remember more about, you know, um, having to peel the potatoes that had got worms in them or, you know, wash the mud off or pick the beans and pod the beans and do all the, you know, the processing of those vegetables, which now is done by machine for a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, having just, you know, that physical touch of vegetables and always growing up with Dad bringing home the food, Mum having to cook it and us having to process it and things, and there was never any waste you know it was like I've grown this and you will eat it <laughs> and so that you know the respect of the food that had been grown for us as well um and the joy of eating as a family you know together and and having that nourishment and then you know throughout my life I've kind of dabbled in growing food and stuff but then I had a life-changing moment when I went and worked on a vineyard in Cromwell actually which is also in Otago and at that time, I'd been working for Wanaka Waste Bust as a, as a worm farmer, so encouraging people to, you know, compost their kitchen and garden waste through worm castings. And, um, and I became quite obsessed with worms at that point, <laughs> um, you know, because it was like I had a whole herd of worms doing the work for me, you know, breaking down all the food, bringing this beautiful, rich vermicast as a, as a gardening medium. And... Um, yeah, a friend of mine had sort of said, oh, if you're interested in worms and composting, you should check out what we do at this vineyard where I work. So I went along and I just walked onto this piece of land and went, wow, something is happening here. You know, there's this energy force that I could feel was completely different to everywhere else I'd been. I had no idea what biodynamics was at that point, but it turned out it was um, a vineyard that was managing using the biodynamic principles. And, yeah, it was just astounding to see these, like, healthy animals and everything was upright and, you know, bright-coloured and just this energy about the place. And the people were really happy and everyone was really welcoming. And sure enough, I ended up working there and made this giant compost on a large scale. And then at the end of it all, these magical sort of potions were put into the into the heap, you know, to sort of create this 
connectivity with spirit and of matter and for me that was like a life-changing moment I thought wow I need to learn more about biodynamics so I went and did a course up in Hawke's Bay at um, a college there called Taruna um, which is the school of anthroposophical learning in, in New Zealand and um, so I did the course on biodynamics and yeah that just took me in a whole different direction for a life changing sort of yeah direction into understanding the earth and nature and wanting to grow food with the most vitality in it which was quite different to just organics so from then on you know I've been working doing biodynamics for since 2003 or 4 and um, making hot compost and growing really good food and so I think I was actually invited to come to the food forest and add some of that to to what they were doing there. So, yeah, I can't remember. It was probably about six or seven years ago when I got involved with the food forest. And we tried to um, bring in allotments, which was my idea, of course. You know, I said, oh, yeah, you know, if we had allotments, you know, we'd get much more more people would come and then there'd be more people to do the working bees and help with the the food forest but you know it'd also be this place of learning and and bringing um more people onto the land and it worked um reasonably well for the first couple of years but to be honest it's it's a huge responsibility and you know for people to come and the um, upkeep of a garden um that's not in your home is actually quite a foreign sort of concept for new zealanders especially so you know people are like why would you go there to grow your food when you've got your own garden but the idea is that you're going to a you know a specific place to to group together with others so that you can share the knowledge share the tools share the the food the produce and um so it didn't quite work out so now we've moved on to having sort of community gardens which is much more of a you know uh, less responsibility but more community driven uh, so we're still developing the gardens but people who come in to do the working bees are now able to take the produce home and then any excess goes to the food larders which is also you know a a free resource for our community for those that need it and or or that you know would just like to to use that facility so that they can share their own produce there as well and that's been a really lovely way of growing the food forest itself yeah well uh, now, listen, there's been some very long words and big words that I'm not sure I fully understand. Um, I wondered, could you explain a little bit what biodynamic means and what anthropo... I'm not even sure I can say it. Anthropo- anthroposoph- you have another go at it. Anthroposophical studies. Anthroposophical. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost worse than marmalade, isn't it? Yeah. What is tell tell us a little bit about that? Because those sound like uh, really important ideas to what you do, and they sound like they're very specialist words. Um, yeah, so biodynamics um is basically the agricultural lectures that Um, Rudolf Steiner gave in 1924 to uh, a group of European farmers who had already found that their soils and their animals were diminishing in health and vitality. So biodynamics really is um, a suggestion 
given by Rudolf Steiner, and it's a holistic, um, ecological, ethical, and social sort of approach to restorative farming. It's probably the oldest authentic regenerative system that there is, and it, it comes with a a Demeter certification if, if you want to go that way, which is one of the highest standards of organic farming that there is. Um, and uh, as we mentioned before, Rudolf Steiner was a philosopher, clairvoyant, a scholar, a scientist, of a natural scientist, and his lectures, a series of lectures to these farmers was actually called The Spiritual Foundations for the Renewal of Agriculture which is quite a hefty sort of title, isn't it? The Spiritual Foundations for the Renewal of Agriculture. So it's not just about, you know, what we can get from the land. It's about what we give to the land as well and uh, doing the inner work as well as the outer work. And it's a spiritual science, I suppose, and it's a life science. It's something, you know, I mean, I've been doing it for years, but I still always learn something new every time I put my hands in the earth or go out to harvest um, or look at the weather or any of those things that is involved with farming and the guardianship of the land, you know, rather than being a gardener, it's a, a guardian. And I think language is something that we need to actually look at when we <laughs> recognize what we're trying to do, because, you know, relationships with the land, you know, you're, it's an engagement. You're engaged with the land, you know, that, which is what we do in our relationships as humans. And, the, you know, the term land husbandry indicates, you know, that it's a relationship of marriage. Uh, for me, that's a land wifery. <laughs> um, but, you know, in a relationship, you know, it's all about respect and care and giving and loving. And so when we look at those words of wisdom that um, come from ancient culture of growing uh, there's the different sort of uh, aspect of belonging to the land which again I think we have you know we've been emancipated from it in, in certain respects but um, and um, anthroposophy kind of looks at people and their habits and the cultures and their interactions with the world and that can involve, uh, you know, anthroposophical studies um, will look at religion and spirit, um, spiritual concepts, uh, as well as, you know, the health of our bodies and our minds and education. So, yeah, there's a whole bigger picture in anthroposophical networking that I think, you know, all stems from love and the heart. And, and this is probably where, for me, you know, the the heightiness of biodynamics interests me more than just growing food without chemicals. You know, it's actually growing food with spirit and vitality and understanding that connection, you know, makes it a whole lot more fascinating because then you're working with, you know, the, the, the stars and geology and so many other aspects. It's not just, oh, you've got to go out and do the digging and the weeding. You know, it's, it's this whole, opens up this whole network of diversity of connection and that's a key word, isn't it, really, Sue? Connection, a feeling of connectedness, not just within ourselves, but with each other and with the land and with the whole of creation. It's a far cry, isn't it, from what, um, you know, I'm just thinking about Steiner's approach. And you said 
You said that this is like really almost the oldest form of farming and growing. And yet I'm sure many people listening will be thinking, oh, this just sounds like another new age fad, you know, a bunch of hippies, you know, praying to the moon. But it's not that, is it? It's something way, way more ancient that humans on the land, humans on this planet, humans in the in the history of our amazing planet, used to do this for by far the greatest amount of time that humans have been on this planet. Is that would that be right? Yeah, I think so. I think so too. And and again, that sort of went from people providing their own food to having to rely on manufacturers to make their food because life changed and we all got materialistic and wanted more money and bigger cars and we forgot how important food was. And, you know, I think that's okay that that's part of our evolution. We have to go there before we come back full circle to that understanding and the importance of, yeah, what we're actually providing ourselves with and how we treat the earth. Yeah, beautiful. So I'm really interested in in what you described as well. Obviously, I would be, wouldn't I? In the you talked about the inner, something about the inner work. You know, and I'm fascinated by language also, and I'm fascinated at the close connection between guardian and gardening, and somehow gardening is something you do to like an activity. And it's devoid, the word gardening is devoid of all the implications of guardianship. You know, when we're a guardian of someone or something, we have a significant role to play. Somehow when you garden, you stick your foot on a shovel or spade and dig something up. And there's there's somehow, you know, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating this a little bit, but, you know, I just wonder whether the language of guardian got changed so that we lost that amazing sense of responsibility and connection and involvement with the land, that somehow gardening seems to be devoid of that in terms of the word guardianship. I wonder if you've got any thoughts around that. This is me just getting really excited about words. Mm-hmm. Well, to start with, I have to say that that terminology actually came from a book that is called We Are the Ark. It's Mary Reynolds. It's a beautiful book. She points out the whole point of the guardianship rather than the gardener and makes you feel differently about how you actually treat the land. But yeah, stewardship even it doesn't sort of really do it for me either. So I, I love that guardianship of the, the land rather than gardening. And you're right. I think that it does, yeah, people often think of gardening as a chore, whereas guardianship is much more nurturing and nourishing and, and we've all got that in us. And to allow ourselves to do that actually brings such joy and peace within, our, you know, the inner work. So, you know, what you give, you you get. And for me, you know, having my hands in the soil yeah, it's like medicine, really, for my heart. <laughs> but, yeah, gardening, I think we need to look at it differently. And, you know, the enjoyment that comes from it, I, I think Aristotle sort of said that happiness is an activity. And, you know, if you can put that into uh, how much goodness you get from gardening, you know, it, it's almost a wage. It's like, for me, that's that's my job, you know, and um, there's a payment there, which is my happiness and my health. So, you know, it's not always about monetary values. Yeah, I'm loving what you're saying, Sue. And it's really very profound. And it is so different from what is being touted around the place. 
you know, I think I've said elsewhere that when I first came to New Zealand, well, second came to, I was born here, but I came back 58 years later, uh, waited a long time to come back. And I was really shocked to hear the conversations that were going on around me in the cafes. And this is all pre-COVID. And well, no, it wasn't pre-COVID, it was pre-lockdown. And I was shocked. I'm a bit of a nosy parker. Be careful if you see me in a cafe, because I'm I'm probably just listening in. I can't help it. I'm a new... That's why I love working as a psychotherapist. I'm just fascinated by people. And I'm fascinated at the deep spirituality of what you're talking about, Sue, that this is not just a community activity. This is something very personal to you. Um, and I'm hearing that personal inner, inner connection that is really quite inspiring to hear. And what do you do when you talk about inner work? Sorry, I, I'd lost my train of thought. I was just shocked at how materialistic all the conversations I heard in the cafes were about bloody real estate. You know, it was like the whole of New Zealand had become obsessed with, you know, status of possession. And um, that wasn't how I regarded Kiwis at all. I, I'd always thought that Kiwis, you know, having you know, been a Kiwi and then getting kidnapped by my parents to the UK, this grey land of cold and cloud and really dull dull countryside by comparison to New Zealand anyway um you know after that kidnap and and being taken there you know I knew I was Kiwi somewhere but I didn't really know what that meant but I spoke differently I was four definitely spoke differently I had to have elocution lessons to get the Kiwi they tried to get the Kiwi out of me <laughs> 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 I could speak proper, you know, and posh and all that stuff. But the whole um, going away from the culture meant that I looked at Kiwis and I heard about Kiwis and I read about Kiwis. And I was always so excited by the Kiwi culture because it seemed so down to earth. And, that, and there's that word again, the earth. Kiwi culture seemed to me, I don't know what you thought coming over from the UK. I know you're English, but, you know, something about just get on with it, sort it out, solve your problems, get on with it, re rely on your resources, be clever, do something that other people hadn't thought of. You know, there's something really creative and down to earth about the Kiwi spirit. So when I when I landed and I got here, my son and my grandson live here and, and his partner, when I got here, I was really shocked because I heard this kind of, I, I, was th I thought I'd landed in America you know, with all its materialism and all its obsession with things and as if anything can make people really happy, whereas it's people that make people happy and it's connections that make us happy. And I knew that much. I mean, you know, no one told me that, but I'd worked that one out. And it's really fascinating to me the depth of spirituality that you're talking about. And I wondered if you would be willing to share a little bit about more about what you mean by this inner this inner work. You've already said a bit about that, about the giving, about the the wage of the land, the feeling you get back from it. I, I wonder if you could say a bit more about that. I'm really interested. Well, I think, yeah, the inner work for me is sort of researching a lot of other works that Rudolf Steiner has done, which is all about life after death and rebirth and looking at connections to the past and, well, cultivating much more of a meditative sort of thinking around the work you do on the land and with other people and with animals especially. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's about 
compassion really it's about thinking you know this isn't just about what can I get from my garden and is it going to feed me and I'm hungry I need food you know it's that where does this begin and where does it end which there is no there is no beginning and no end it's it's a cycle so um, those rhythms and rituals that come into play with the work that I do um, also come from inside of me as well as you know the earth so difficult to explain really but um I suppose yeah the rhythms and rituals are are the inner work understanding you know that our nervous system is is part of our connection to this planet and and so if you're doing the the goodness on the outside it will also benefit you on the inside so uh, it makes it much more of a dance with life rather than this sort of hard work that we imagine gardening to be and I'm not I'm not taking away from the fact that you know there is some strenuous work needs to be done when you're making compost and but actually you know if if you're working with nature rather than against it it feels much more harmonious flowing than fighting against it and getting your digging the earth up like you're digging a grave there's no need for that you know you actually need to be gentle on the earth and it will be gentle back to you to your body um so so yeah the inner work is is sort of understanding nature and and respecting it and having compassion for it um along with what you're doing to get back the food for sustenance this seems so much more in line with some of the wisdom that has been retained in more ancient cultures, cultures that track back. I mean, we all, we all come from ancient cultures, but since the Industrial Revolution, many of us have lost our sense of our roots, our cultural roots, our family roots. Uh, it's remarkable how few people have any real historical connection uh, beyond the 19th century, which is the um, Industrial Revolution time. And of course, you know, with industrial revolution, we left the land. But there's been pressures to leave the land throughout history, uh, land clearances, you know. Um, there have been times when people have been forced off the land by conquest, by by war. The battle to retain our connection with the land is one of the themes of history, another of my passions and my love. is uh, I started life as a history teacher and I've always been fascinated by that historical roots. But this spirituality you're talking about goes back to cultures that have retained that connection with the land. I'm thinking here in New Zealand, we have the Maori culture with its relationship with the land. We, you know, in the um, the, the Native American Indians, wherever there's been a retention of the wisdom of the indigenous culture, this is what they talk about. This is what they their stories are about. This is what their their spirituality is about. And it's it's a very important and powerful part of what what modern society has lost. I don't know if you would agree with that, Sue, but that's what I'm hearing from you, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, when we look at um, most of our medicines are made from herbs and <laughs> minerals, um, but again, with that emancipation from nature to, you know, the people in the white coats know best and, you know, if it's not in a packet, then it probably doesn't work. Uh, you know, this kind of mindset that has changed, unfortunately, Um and again, biodynamics forces the farmer to go back into that. You know, we do harvest the flowers and for the essence and make certain preparations. It takes a lot of time and a lot of understanding. And, you know, it's research. So it is a science. You know, don't just go into it 
and and understand it's not a recipe and it's not a religion but it's actually trains your mind into understanding that if you crush a a crystal for example you know there's an energy that is released well most people wouldn't you know will look at a crystal and go yeah it's kind of pretty and you know maybe it's got some power but you know you're actually forced to sort of understand each piece of the earth um and what it does for the betterment of of your your life and so um and i think that's what the older cultures did have when we think about um energy fields and you know sort of frequencies that probably some of the more ancient cultures had to aid them build pyramids for example or you know walk up huge mountains and uh, a lot of it is, has come from a, a different understanding of energetic fields and those influences of the health of plants and essences and things so yeah um it's not just about food it's it's much more to do with medicines and um meditation work of connecting with with the bigger picture you're doing such a great job sue of explaining something that is not so easy to explain i really appreciate your candor you're listening to Reality Check Radio. This is Jerry Pives on this episode of Real People in the Psychotherapist Chair. We're talking to Sue Hoskin and we're delving into the magic, the spirituality, the depth, the the psychology almost of our connection with the earth and how important that is for us. And, you know, I, I was thinking, Sue, that there's been a, even in the rather, you know, one-dimensional scientific uh, community, um, where they study things like molecules and chemicals and stuff like that, as if that can explain too much about anything, but they do it. They do their placebo double-blind studies. And there's been some, there's a lot of interest in something I'm doing at the moment, which is jumping into Lake Wanaka every day for a few minutes, doing cold immersion and feeling the benefits of that and the challenge of that. Um, and I've been listening to some research on that. And the research is really quite incredible because what they found is that people who go outside, the body gets challenged by all the different seasons and all the different temperatures and all the different weathers. And, and the body gets exposed to change and to physiological change. And it's actually that ability to go from cold to hot and the changeability. If we try and if we try and live our life in a cozy kind of cardigan of deadly retirement, and we live in this cozy little house of universally same temperature. Um, what the research actually says is that it's the farmers, it's the people who go out, the people who are exposed. You know, you don't have to jump in a lake to do that. Um, but, you know, working the land, that the farmers have some of their greatest health and they have the healthiest nervous system of anybody. Yeah, so what you're saying is really backed up by some even one, well, I call it one-dimensional science because it misses out pretty much all the things that make us human, but it goes for things and chemicals and all of that stuff. But nonetheless, uh, even that stuff is showing what you're saying to be true, that we need this connection. We need to be in relationship with the land. Yeah, relationship and celebration. I mean, you know, ceremony and sort of seasonal celebrations is part of our culture. And again, you know, that's kind of the inner work and understanding that as humans, we have seasons of our lives, you know, that we go through that. 
the four seasons, if you like, um, whether you call it, you know, the growing stages and right up to the golden years. So, yeah, understanding that we need that uh, seasonal change as well, uh, as well as the weather patterns. And I think that's what I love about New Zealand is, is these very different seasons, you know, whereas some countries, uh, England, for example, seems to be like in grey autumn um <laughs> The whole year, most, mostly, <laughs> you get this flash of boiling hot um, summer for two days or something. But uh, yeah, so and even being down in this area, you know, the majesty of the mountains, and uh, that's one of the things that gets me out of bed. You know, is, is just the beauty that surrounds us, and I think that's a, a huge important aspect of uh, happiness as well. You know, our environment brings us that joy. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I've been realising that as we're coming to the end of our time together today, I barely asked you what gets you out of bed in the morning, and uh, you've you've just you've just answered that to some extent. I think. Um, tell me how you deal with stress. How do you cope with stress, Sue? Um, well, a number of ways. Um, quite often, just getting my hands in the soil. Um, my, allotment <laughs> my allotment is is a place of peace and beauty. You know, there's there's cows down there at the moment and the birds are there and quite often I'll see a heron go over or, um, you know, there's rabbits and things. So, so immersing myself in nature is probably my first go-to. Um, I also love singing and dancing, um, doing art. You know, I love to get my paints out on – I think it depends what stress it is that's getting to me and what how I um, sort of deal with it. But I – I suppose um, all manner of things. Yoga is really good for me um, at times of stress. Um, but also, yeah, uh, so socialising, you know, sometimes that can just be the thing that I need to get away from my trauma and, and actually just have fun and and be with people that, um, you know, I feel embraced by. And that's, that's a really powerful um, stress reliever for me. Um, and, and on other occasions, I, you know, prefer to be on my own and listen to music. Well, you've just given us a, a great list of some of the key things that we can do for ourselves to help ourselves through trauma or stress of any kind. Um, the last two or three years have been particularly stressful for Kiwis and the sort of division of lockdown and COVID and mandates and you know overwhelmingly uh, dictatorial government and people being pitted against each other. And I wonder... You know, of all the things that you mentioned, what would you say is your has been your greatest support during what I would consider to be, you know, some of the most traumatic years in our history? Um, what would you say went to the top of the pile for you in terms of helping you through these last few years? Um, I'd have to say the Voices for Freedom group, to be honest. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of, for me, there was grief of, you know, there was loss of freedom um loss of respect you know loss of voice and and loss of friendships actually and divide from family and friends um so to find my family and find my tribe with the voices for freedom group was especially helpful for me in that situation um and then sort of realizing that you know we have to be thankful for the challenges because otherwise we become complacent 
you know, having that strength of the social group, uh, the networking and um, all the beautiful people that I've met in that group have brought such a lot of new friendships and new realizations and lifted me from that sort of dark place that I felt I was in from the, yeah, the trauma of governmental stuff and the divide really. So that social networking has been amazing. So back to community, back to people, being with people, back to what you have, you know, focused so much of your life on doing, Sue, which is bringing people together, connecting us with the land. I think, you know, when it comes to mental health, I think that's one of the most powerful things that people need. And I'll probably talk a bit more about that, about finding your community, about finding your tribe, about finding your your funnel. It's It's that kind of, you know, that interconnectedness that modern society seems to almost have been trying to break up. It's almost as if there are forces at play trying to tear us away from what makes us really human and what being human really means and the glory of that from the physical to the energetic to the emotional to the mental to the spiritual and to the connection we can all have with this time of being, this this experience of life at this very moment. Well, Sue, it's been a real pleasure to open up and talk about this really important area. I really want to say a big, big thank you for being in the psychotherapist chair. I feel like in many ways we've been in the Rudolf Steiner chair and the, the anthroposophical. I've even learned how to say it now, anthroposophical. <laughs> there you go. There's a, there's a development. I've got something from today. I'll now be very proud to say that word, anthroposophical. <laughs> um, but you've, you've introduced many, many listeners may already know about this area and I'd certainly heard of it, but I had no idea of the depth at which it takes. And certainly... Would it be fair to say that, you know, what gives you meaning, what gets you out of bed in the morning and what really is your go-to support is this whole anthroposophical approach to life and to land and to community and to art? Would that be a fair summary of what gets you out of bed in the morning, Sue? Yeah, I think that does encompass everything. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a, a mindset and a way of life. So it's a great way of life for me. Definitely feels healthy. Well, Sue, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to say before we close? Anything that you would like to share that we haven't got to? Um, just to um, really thank you for giving me that opportunity to, you know, it's a bit like a biography, really, when you start talking about yourself and looking at what makes you tick. Um, but yeah, to be just to keep being grounded and yeah, rooted. For me, that's important for a lot of people to actually get your hands in the soil and see how you feel. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you roll on the floor laughing at my attempts to uh, join your group and to do anything with the land at all. So I'm sure that'll be a great entertainment for us to look forward to, Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone brings a different skill and I know that you'll have something that will benefit the land and the people. Well, if the trees could grow better by me talking to them, maybe that'll be my gift because I do feel that's something I'm quite happy to do. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure they would. (laughs) Well, um, thank you very much, Sue. And uh, this has been Reality Check Radio, uh, Real People with me, Joe Pives. 
in the psychotherapist chair has been Sue Hoskin and stay tuned because uh, after this, I'm going to do a little bit of reflection and share some of the psychological implications, models, uh, tools, tricks, tips, whatever that we can all use to help ourselves through the tougher times in life. And uh, Sue Hoskin, thank you so much for being in the psychotherapist chair. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Real People with Jerry Pives. Do you have a guest suggestion for Jerry? If you know someone who has an interesting life story, maybe that someone is you, then please get in touch. Jerry would love to get your feedback, so please send us a text on 2057 or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio to let us know your thoughts about his show. That's your message to 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio. Normal texting charges apply. Well, I wonder how you got on with that. What a fascinating discussion, exploration uh, that was with Sue. I certainly didn't expect to learn about Rudolf Steiner and his 1923 or 24 lectures on agriculture. I didn't expect us to delve into the world of biodynamic farming and biodynamic living and anthroposophy. What an interesting world. And I wonder if from all of that, you got a good idea of just what makes Sue tick. I think what we heard was Sue connecting you know, with the land being really important to her with her food forest project, but also going right back to her childhood of father and grandfather doing vegetables and allotments and that uh, very English tradition of growing vegetables and having your own land to work. Coming from, I think, the Second World War, that was a big move in the Second World War. I think we might be going back that way now, where we all need to take care of our own food supply because the powers that be and the, the authorities that were charged and paid for looking after us have let us down and uh, we're finding that they're threatening our food supply, not helping it. So that's really important. But it was more than just growing vegetables and uh, having food to eat. It was a whole connection with the living force of creation itself. It was a profoundly powerful, uh, holistic view of living. And of course, it wasn't just connecting with some kind of whole universe and, and seeing the interconnectedness, but it was also really about connecting with community and with fellow human beings. And this connection is really, really important, especially when we're struggling. And frankly, I know very few people who are not struggling to some degree or other in these highly traumatic times that we're living through. Invisibly traumatic for some who are not aware of what's going on. And for some of us, we are aware, and that's even more traumatic. So whether you are aware of what's going on around us at the moment, which is possibly the biggest attack on humanity in the history of the planet and the history of our species, whether you're aware of that or not, everyone is feeling the trauma. Uh, you can even see it in the animals around us. I'm hearing from dog owners that more and more dogs who are highly sensitive to emotion are getting angry and traumatized. So I think it's really important to look at what works for us. And what really works for us is human connection. We're really not wired 
to be on our own. And although we can do lots of wonderful things like meditation, like yoga, we can do all sorts of things on our own. Um, what really matters for the human nervous system, and this has been borne out by tons of research, what really matters is our nervous system state. What, what is the state of our nervous system? You know, are we agitated? Are we in a what we call fight or flight? Or are we kind of going catatonic and shut down and depressed and inward? Or are we living in that middle space, a really important area where it's called our window of tolerance? It's the place where we have our resilience. And, you know, it's also the place where the nervous system operates with other human beings. So Stephen Porges is a famous neuroscientist, and he called it the social engagement system. That's how important we are to each other. It's right there in the science now. And our nervous system regulates and soothes itself by being in that space where we can be with others socially engaged. And wasn't it interesting that right at the heart of this incredible philosophy or anthroposophy uh, was this sense of the interconnectedness of all, right at the heart of this almost ancient and primordial approach to living that we used to all have once, of this sense of we are within a matrix, a beautiful matrix of wisdom and love and growth and development. Within that came people working together in community. And if you want to follow up this idea of connections, I'd just like to shout out to a, a tremendous writer called Johan Harry, H-A-R-I is his surname, Johan, Johan Harry. And he wrote a remarkable book called Lost Connections. He's written several others as well, but I particularly like Lost Connections because this is about one man's journey as he goes through being depressed as a teenager, being anxious and depressed and going through college and university and his journey through pharmaceutical idiocy as if, you know, a substance can change someone that is missing something in his life. He travels all around the world. He describes his meetings and his discussion. He's a very earnest young man trying to find out what works. And you know, where he comes to is that he actually comes to a very traditional position, a position held by radical psychiatry, actually, um, that is the tradition that says, when we're not feeling okay, it's not just us. It's not just our own problem. We are part of a bigger picture. And of course, radical psychiatry and lost connections, he doesn't refer to radical psychiatry. He kind of has to reinvent the wheel on that one a bit, but he does that in his own brilliant way. And, you know, he returns to something that most psychological professionals are aware of called radical psychiatry. And radical psychiatry says you cannot just blame the individual for society's insanities. And that is so true right now. I mean, I, I'm promoting a new definition in the psychiatric diagnosis manual that everyone uses all around the world. And I'm, I'm promoting a new psychiatric mental health condition called GIT, G-I-T, which is a very English name, I know, but it's quite a funny one as well. But suffering, for, are you suffering from the GIT? Uh, and the GIT stands for, G stands for government, the I stands for induced, and the T stands for trauma. Government-induced trauma. And most people working in government bodies or registration bodies or NGOs should be hanging their heads in shame at what they've done to increase the trauma of people. 
people all around all around society. So we're probably all suffering from the git. And you know, the way out of that is to connect with good people doing good things and to stay away from those people in those positions. They're really not good for your health, in my very humble and slightly outspoken opinion. <laughs> so Johan Harry, Lost Connections, great book to read. And it really does say what he found was that people who come together, often around social justice, around local issues, around housing, around health, people that actually care, be around people that actually care about someone more than just themselves, you know, people that actually are interested in looking after others. Those are the people to look for. Those are the people who are good for your soul and to be involved in doing things with each other, be active with each other. You know, don't retreat into your little cocoon world. Get out there and be with the people who are trying to make society and communities more human, more caring, and um, not the direction it's going along right now is what I'm saying. But I wonder if in Sue's beautiful uh, session that we had, I wonder if you heard the profound spirituality in what she was describing. Yeah, she didn't, you know, bash the Bible at us and she didn't, you know, tell us what we should or shouldn't believe. But I wonder if, like me, you sensed an immense spirituality in her philosophy or or actually her anthroposophy. And I wonder how much of that spirituality you resonated with or whether you just didn't hear it at all, which could be interesting for you as well. Um, I certainly heard a profound, unifying, integrational sense of each human being living within a beautiful, living, pulsating universe. Um, And isn't it interesting that all, every single one of the government-funded organizations all seem to subscribe to the new religion, well, it lasts a couple of hundred years, I would say, but the new religion, I call it the religion of materialism. You know, uh, uh, the other word I use for it is scientism, which reduces all our experiences to the smallest bits of us that you can't see, can't even see them, you know, the molecules, you know, the bits and pieces, the stuff, the matter, the physical matter, as if that's all we are. And certainly some of us are not all that interested in reducing human experience to some tiny molecules that you can't even see and then studying and analyzing and researching them as if they're the really important bit. Well, some of us just aren't interested in stuff. And some of us are certainly not interested in that particular government funded propaganda machine. (laughs) Just follow the money if you want to find out who's influencing that bunch. And the money is coming from the government. And the government also is highly suspect in so many things that we're discovering today. What a shock for many of us brought up to trust the government. And here they are. We've been betrayed on every level, in my slightly outspoken and rather humble opinion. But whatever you think, um, the I can have my opinion, but whatever you think, many of us are interested in a much bigger picture. And this came home to me, you know, when I was started my career as a therapist, I actually started in the world of massage and body work. And at the end of every session, I wanted the client to define 
what benefits they'd got. I didn't want to tell them. I mean, I know a lot of successful body workers have really got very busy practices. They continue telling their clients how good they feel and what they've got from it. And I, I was never that good a car salesman. I just used to say at the end, once they were dressed and everything, I said, just you know, walk around the room, walk around the table and tell me what you're noticing about yourself, especially if anything feels different to when you arrived. That was really my interest. And I've always learned more from my clients than any training course or any textbook. I've never, never really got into too much reading of stuff, although I love to read, actually. But I never learned from what works in therapy. I just watched and learned from my clients. And they would walk around. And, you know, for 25 years, I've been doing this. And over the years, it slowly dawned on me, because I'm not a quick learner, um, it slowly dawned on me that all the clients were talking about themselves, because they were walking and talking about what they were noticing in themselves. And I realised that there was one particular language that was coming up, well, five languages, actually. People were speaking in five different ways about their experiences of being human. And what were those five ways? Well, some people talked about the physical. I kind of expected that. But many people talked about their energy. How their energy is, is it low? Is it up? Is it down? What sort of energy are they walking in? How do they feel them, their energy? And then some of them would also talk about their emotional state. And others would talk about their psychological or attitude state. How are they thinking of the world at this particular moment? And others would talk about their spiritual state. They might not use the words we associate with religion, but they are talking about the spiritual state. They're talking about their place in the world, how they fit in, their meaning, their purpose. We've been talking about meaning and purpose quite a lot, and I would suggest that's a profoundly spiritual concept. What's our existential purpose here? Uh, to me, that's an actual spiritual question. So I summarize these in my book as PEMS, P-E-E-M-S, P for physical, E for energy. I always draw it like an energy sign. E for emotional, M for mental, S for spiritual. And I think that's a far better picture of what we are than what these kind of um, scientists are trying to say. This religion of scientism that suggests that we're molecules. I actually know that there have been several books written. Another great book you might want to read about the power of our emotions and our mind on these physical bits that we can't even see called molecules. A book by Candace Pett called Molecules of Emotion. <laughs> and it's all there. She's actually found the scientific research that says, you know what, these molecules are really affected by how we feel. There's research on it. So why we're pumping people full of sub pharmaceutical substances when actually, do you know what? If you help someone to feel better, they do that all inside themselves. We've got a chemical factory inside our body. We can produce practically anything inside the human body. It's almost as if we're a miracle. It's almost as if we're made by a divine power or we are even part of some great divine story. That's a bit more exciting than coming from bits of molecules or evolving from some shrew or monkey. You know, well, actually, I'm, 
I think that's an insult to monkeys, actually, and possibly to shrews, you know, but the idea, yeah, well, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> I've got a lot of questions these days about what we've been told, I believe, a lot less than I used to. So what can you do with this? Well, what's a good practical tool for your day-to-day management of your stress and your trauma? Well, number one, please understand that trauma can never be resolved alone. It needs communities, it needs gardening groups, it needs choirs, and sometimes it needs people like me to talk to so that you're with another human being who's actually made the study of trauma and its release uh, a part of our life. We're, there are many, many dedicated human beings, you're living probably within a mile of you, who are dedicated to healing therapies of some kind or another. And sometimes we really do need to speak to another person. Yes, there's a great deal we can do, but how do we know when we need to reach out, especially to someone who's been trained in the psychology, in the nervous system, in healing? How do we know when it's time to reach out? Well, that's quite simple. Uh, Whatever else you're doing isn't solving the problem. (laughs) You keep finding yourself in the same place over and over, then you're going to need someone to help you get over that hurdle. There's no shame in that. As we grow up in life, As we develop as children, we develop certain beliefs. And one of the most common beliefs we develop is that we've got to sort our shit out all alone. And um, that's actually not true. That's an anti-human belief. And humans need each other. And to take responsibility for your own state or your own issues or your own problems is actually a profoundly um, human and awesome step to make for ourselves. So, you know, just blame everyone else for it. It's not really a very spiritual place. It's not very true either. Yes, we are influenced by what's around us. But at the end of the day, it comes down to each of us how we solve that. And sometimes what we're dealing with is so overwhelming that we actually need another person to kind of hold that trauma with us. To, so we're not alone anymore. And it's incredible. You know, all the research on therapy says that it's actually, it's not the approach, it's actually the safety and the relationship that really, really matters. The research is undeniable on that. What I'm trying to suggest here, what I am suggesting here is that you are absolutely human and normal to need to reach out to another individual. Now, I'm not just touting my particular approach or my particular work here. I'm actually saying, you know, somewhere near you, there's going to be someone who's dedicated their life to understanding how to manage and help people manage trauma, distress. And it's perfectly, perfectly human to need the help of another person. Because as we grow up, we develop these beliefs and we ha- we're blindsided by them. We're literally blindsided by our childhood beliefs. And it sometimes takes another person who's not got our background to say, you know what, it's kind of interesting. You keep talking about this thing. And it doesn't seem, I'm wondering if that's actually very true. Is that a belief that you now as a grown-up person subscribe to? And very often our work is involved in identifying the beliefs that harm us and helping us to take on new beliefs, to choose a different story for our lives. And that's really exciting. Well, I think so anyway. I guess I would think that, wouldn't I? Because I've devoted my whole life to helping people with this sort of stuff. 
So reaching out is normal. That's that's my real message. And, and it's good to reach out as well as do all the things that we do on our own. That's great. But in these days, what's a very simple tool? Well, you know, just think of that word PEAMS. And one student of mine came up with a brilliant idea. It wasn't mine, unfortunately. I'd love to say it was. It wasn't my idea. When I'd been talking about, well, PEAMS and the five levels that ordinary humans have taught me, I never read this in a book. I never got it from some religious text. I just watched people and listened to them walking around the table and noticed they spoke in five different languages. Some would speak only in one of these five. Some would speak in a lot of these five. The physical for P, the E, energy, the E for emotion, the M for mental, and the S for spiritual. Now, if you just write a, do a grid and you, you write down PEMS, you know, P at the top, E, E, M, S, down on the left-hand side of a page, and you run across and make a grid and you you have like a matrix and then you have you have a date for each of the columns going vertical so you write down these five peams and then you put down a column and you just mark yourself out of 10 how am i doing physically okay you know i've got aches and pains struggling or maybe i'm just feeling great you know give that a 10 how am I doing energetically? Ah, oh, you know, I'm a bit smashed. I'm a bit kind of overloaded. I feel heavy. So maybe give yourself a three or four for that, if that's how you're feeling. But if you're feeling like, yeah, I got boodle boodles. I mean, bundles and oodles. <laughs> I've just made up a new word, boodles. Um, <laughs> boodles of energy. Then you just got that a 10. You know, that's great. Um, and then check out your emotional state. Maybe you're feeling a bit sad or angry. Um, maybe you're feeling, you know, in which case, you know, if you're feeling a bit bit untogether or angry or or just lonely, you know, score yourself a low score there. Give yourself a two for that, you know. But if you're if you're feeling like uh, really emotionally content and you're uh, I need to come up with a new word for that, don't I? But you know, where you're happy. <laughs> it's called happy, joy, bliss, peace, uh, whatever that emotion is for you then score yourself high if you're feeling good. You know, a simple way to think of that emotional thing is mad, sad, bad, or glad. You know, just, just put that down over what are you feeling? And, um, yeah, put that score down. That's the emotional one. Then the mental one, attitude, mind. Give yourself a score for that. Are you feeling positive? Are you feeling like life's going the way you want it to? You've got good positive beliefs about people, about stuff. Or are you struggling with that? Are you are you in a depressed state? Are you thinking that you know everything's going to hell and back again? You know, where where is your mental level of positivity? And you might be down at the four or the three. You know, you might be having a bad moment or even a bad day. Um, but you might also be just thinking the world's a great place and that you know everything can work well. That's your mental positivity state. So score yourself a ten if you're up the top there. And then there's the spiritual state, which is, you know, where am I spiritually? I don't mean, you know, go to church necessarily, although I think that's a community that's worth joining. If it's a safe community, if it's a good community, there are some pretty toxic religious communities as well. Let's be honest about that. Where are you with your sense of purpose and your connection with something bigger than yourself, uh, uh, being a part of a story, as opposed to always being the center of the story? I actually find that quite a relief to let go of my story and become part of a bigger story. However you put that, and it's hard to describe words, there's a lot of baggage around spirituality, isn't there? You probably know what I mean for you. Uh, find your Where's your sense of 
something far greater than us that we are actually privileged to be able to connect with. Humans can connect with something greater than us. Um, and that distinguishes us from what I would call non-human or non-human tendencies. So use these PEMS to make a kind of reality check for yourself. In a previous broadcast, I talked about checking out reality. I call it the core principle, C-O-R, core. Check out reality with others, but also check out reality with yourself. And it uh, seems quite good on Reality Check Radio to be promoting a very simple tool that I've taught and many of my clients have used to use these five definitions. You know, there might be more, there might be others, but they've worked for me for 40 years now, body work. And um, seeing that people, you know, where am I physically, energetically, emotionally, mentally, spiritual, score yourself. And then the really important bit, don't forget this bit, adjust your day, adjust your plans. You know, if you're physically not feeling good, then, you know, go and get yourself some physical treatment. You know, um, if you're, maybe you're just physically exhausted and you need to take rest, you know, if your energy is buzzing, you know, that's something you can enjoy. But if your energy is really heavy and sluggish, think of what you could do about that. What could you do? Maybe it's time to go out for a walk in nature or the bracing fresh air. Um, if you want to lift and pump your energy up, you know, check out the whole cold immersion thing and jump in a cold lake like I do. If you ever come to Wanaka, you know, come down to Lake Wanaka in the middle of the day, right about the middle of the day, you'll see this crazy psychotherapist fella just immersing for three minutes. Don't do it for too long, but you know, just go in there and breathe. And wow, the, the buzz in your energy is tremendous. It's better than even coffee, which uh, is another of my favorite tools for that. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of health people will be horrified at that, but that's how it is for me. Um, you know, where are you emotionally? Maybe you're feeling alone. Maybe you need to plan to, you know, take your loved one out for a meal and really have some quality time with them. Maybe it's time to contact your family or good friends, you know, um, get that emotional need of, of ours to be to be in love. And love is more than just a beloved partner. And, and often that's, you know, that's a challenge in itself sometimes. So find out what your love challenge is and, and just take one step towards that. That's great to do. Adjust your day, make a plan, you know. And if you're, you know, struggling mentally, if you've got a low score mentally, maybe it's time to hook up with some other people in your community or, or take on a new, learn a new challenging skill like anthroposophy. <laughs> that would be a good one. And then, of course, you know, there's um, the spiritual. You know, get thee to God, get thee to your spirit, get to who you really are. You really are spirit. I don't care what anyone says, you really, really are. And if anyone's taught you otherwise, they've misled you. Um, find out how to connect with your spiritual truth, your spiritual, your higher self, whatever language you use. It doesn't have to be the three-letter God word. I once met a priest who said that they always replace the word God uh, with, they reverse the letters to dog. It's <laughs> absolutely hilarious coming from a priest. But, you know, she said she'd been given such negative stories about God that she couldn't, the word jarred for her. So every time she was leading a service, you know, um, she thought of dog instead of God. I think that's absolutely a wonderful story. So, yeah, that's that's a little tool. You know, just adjust your day. Take yourself seriously. Attend to yourself. Um, we're, I believe we're living in 
the time of biggest change in the history of the human species. I think I said that earlier, didn't I? Um, and so change is actually traumatic. And clock that, you know, um, and attend to your needs. Your needs are probably greater right now than they've ever been. Um, and if you ignore those needs, you're going to head down a very dangerous pathway of sickness and illness and anger and rage. But if you find a way to tune into what you truly need, uh, listen to your body, listen to the wisdom that is in you. Uh, we were never placed here as humans without the tools to to access within ourselves to find peace, to find harmony, and to bring it all the way back to Sue, you know, to find our interconnectedness with the whole of creation. You're listening to Real People with Jerry Pives right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. 